is The Talking Point, the IMAX Group podcast. When we talk about the status quo or, or bringing the planet back to where we want it to be, it's about power. Who has the power? Who doesn't? Today we're discussing the power of nature. Kit Watts, IMAX Strategic Communications Director, is with Daniel Fox, author of Feel the Wild and founder of Feel the Wild VR. You talk so powerfully in the book about the fact we've lost our innate connection with nature, that we are nature, nature is us. How do we get back to that without suddenly becoming um, indigenous people again, even though we all recognize they hold such um, extraordinary knowledge and wisdom about the, the earth and the elements that many of the rest of us have lost touch with. Is it as simple as just leaving your phone behind, casting off some of the um, accoutrements and the devices and stepping out? Can it be that simple? First of all, no one wants to go back and live the way we did 500 years ago or even a thousand. I mean, there is, yes, there is the understanding that there was a certain relationship, a certain understanding of the world. But at the same time, nobody, even if you give them the opportunity to go back, you know, 1500 years and say, go and live like the way, you know, we did back then, uh, no one would take that ticket. No, it's not that simple. It will demand from us that we make a decision of the values that we prioritize. Um, the way that I often compare it is, you know, the, the human species is a young species. We still haven't proven the worthiness of survival. The way that I explain it is like we're a teenager and nature is our parents. And as a teenager, at one point, you need to break that bond so that you can create your own place in the world. Your, your view of the world when you're a teenager is really black and white. I'm going to be rich when I'm going to be 30 years old. I'm going to be the perfect life. And then suddenly at 35, you know, in your 30s, you start to get fired, you get your heart broken, things didn't work out. And then as you get older, you start to realize that life is more in the grays and your, your perspective changes. Well, as a species, the human is going through that same transition. We've tried and disconnected ourselves from nature, for the thing that was bigger than us, our parents. And we've pushed it aside to say, we're better. I'm better than my parents. At one point we get life, reality, um, throwing back at us, you know, the things that we're not in control. And through that process, which is hard, it is hard. Transformation is inherently by itself a painful transformation. It doesn't have a negative or a positive charge, but it is a, a process in where we have to create a certain discipline, set ourselves a list of priorities, and then after that, create a framework that help us maintain those priorities. It's not easy. You know, the, the thing that is really hard nowadays is that we are, we've admitted that humans are capable to be manipulated when it's time to sell things to them. We, we've come to, we've accepted to believe that humans are able to be manipulated when it's time to sell them. So companies spend millions and millions of dollars every year to make sure that the color that they use or the little action on social media is going to trigger something and what that makes you addicted. But when it comes about legislation, so when it's about empowering people, no, at that point we say, no, people are master of their own domain. They're capable of taking the big, their, their big decision. That was the last economic model that we had from Chicago. We we're like, oh no, we're so rational. That is ludicrous. We're not rational people. We're really social species. So we're going to have to reconnect with the reality that we need that infrastructure around us 
so that we can help each other. So you have um, some what I might call counterintuitive uh, views on climate change. So let's talk about that a little bit um, because I was quite surprised to hear the way you, you <laughs> describe yes. um, climate change and the future of the planet. So um, just let us in on how you see things. First of all, I'm not about denying the urgency that we're in right now. We have to change the way that we deal with the planet or the way that we're connected with the planet. Right now, we're doing it from a place of righteousness. We have to save the planet. We've heard this, we have to save the ocean, we have to save the planet, we have to... And then we have this really static understanding of the planet. So climate change, the way that we look at it right now, we're about defining the ones who win and the one who loses. And when we talk about the status quo or bringing the planet back to where we want it to be, it's about power. Who has the power? Who doesn't? But the reality is that climate change is actually, there's a lot of people who are going to benefit from climate change. In fact, Canada right now, the farmers in Canada are enjoying climate change because they're getting harvests two, three times a year that they used to have only one year. Now, people in California are going to lose that power because the Sun Belt is moving up. I was reading that Russia loves the idea of climate change because it's opening up their lands to a lot of uses that they want to do. So if we argue on who has power and who doesn't, then we pit people against each other. And then you can have people who are not going to do anything and don't want to get on the wagon because they see the advantages that they see ahead. And you're going to have the people who just feel that their way of life has been threatened by the changes. But if we argue on our relationship with the world, understanding that we cannot just take, but we have to have a relationship of taking and giving back, and we need to have a relationship with it, then it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you believe in climate change. You understand that our relationship with the planet has to change. It brings people together as opposed to separating them. It doesn't polarize in groups. It doesn't say, well, you're against or for climate change. It it, it, recognizing, it recognizes our relationship with the planet, the reality of change, and how we move forward in trying to redefine our relationship. You do a lot of work with young people. It, is that, I mean, I'm not trying to generalize all young people say this or think this, but, but what's your experience and what kind of age groups are you working with? Do they have a sense of a positive future or are they, are they some of the groups who are actually, you've done me wrong parents, people who've gone before, I'm going to reclaim Earth. First, I see a lot of anxiety within the, the young. Anxiety that I didn't have when I grew up. There's a sense of expectation that they have to fixing the world as opposed to just kind of, you know, try to live in it first and, and then see what you want and what you don't want. I'm also, I'm not too keen about blaming the past because if you blame the past, where do you stop? Like you can go back to the beginning of time and just blame whoever was the first one. Everything is a product of its time and we all do the best with the information that we have and with the, the priorities that we have. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, but it's always the hindsight that gives you the capacity to look back and make a judgment. In my explorations, in my expeditions, there are times that pushing the envelope got me to places that I never could have thought of discovering amazing experiences and there's other times not the vast majority of them where you know i fell and and crashed i cannot go back in time and say oh i should have not done that because there are other times that i did exactly the same thing and it led me to this amazing place and it's the same thing with climate change i know with the, with the kids that i work with don't look into the past and try to blame someone 
because you're going to find yourself at one point in the future where the people that are there are going to look at you and they're going to blame you and they're going to say, why didn't, you know, why did you do that to me? And your answer is going to be like, listen, I did the best that I could with the tools that I had. With the young people that I work with, the tools that I try to bring them is always a sense of perspective and a sense of humility and understanding and make them understand that their actions need to be motivated to something bigger, to more human values, as opposed to having this sense of righteousness and where like, I have to save this or I have to do that. If we have to save something or someone, we have to save ourselves. Each of us, we have to save and collectively then we save our species. And that is another narrative within the climate change that I think has been a total failure. You're asking people to save a planet when they're having difficulties saving their own families. And if they have to choose between putting food on the table or doing the right thing for the planet, they're going to do the right thing for their family. And you cannot blame them. But if you incorporate the relationship with nature with their children, then it's, 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 it all comes into the same bag. But the kids, the kids nowadays, I see a lot of anxiety by social media and by, you know, by a lot of things. A lot of basically, you know, they go to nature now and they're being told what not to do first rather than what to do. I mean, when I, I grew up in a time where like, open the door, parents would kick us out and go and roam the forest, figure out, climb trees, turn up rocks and, you know, then figure it out. But nowadays it's like, go out, make sure you're clean. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, you don't want to leave an imprint. And it's just like, it's a total different perspective. And I'm, I'm trying to change that. You talked about um, the collective in the book, the, our sense of connectedness with nature and, and how nature is us, we are nature. What happens when we, when we don't have a connection? Where does that lead? What have you seen it um, happen to people or even to yourself in fairness, the lonely boy who was playing yeah. in the park? I was, um, yeah, there was definitely a theme when I grew up, the loneliness. I mean, I moved a lot. By the age of 12, I didn't have enough fingers on my, on my hands to count all the number of places we had moved. So I had to constantly reinvent my world. And there was always this constant reality everywhere that we moved. It was either a, a forest I could go and roam and get lost, or there was a, a, a river shore. So nature for me became that place where I went and find a certain stability. But the, if, if you look at what makes people connected and less lonely is when they feel connected to something bigger than them. You can have no people around you and yet feel connected to something that is bigger than you. And that's what religion really brings to you. It's something sacred. It's something that is, a, you know, that defies the struggles and the challenges and the tragic reality of life that goes around you because it's bigger. Now for me, and part of my narrative is that I want to bring back nature at that level. Let, nature is this thing that is bigger than us, that connects us all, is this teacher, this mentor. So that even when I feel myself struggling through my alone time, I still feel connected to something that is bigger than me. I'm this vessel for life to go forward and I'm there to impact the lives of the people that are around me. And I think that there's a certain peace that comes once you've accepted your place in that universe where it's not about lasting for millions of years, but it's really about making an impact in that moment around for the people that you care and love. And suddenly the, it's not that the loneliness disappears automatically. It's that you 
have these tools to bring you back. And life is just, you know, it's like a roller coaster or it's going up the mountain. You have to come down. And the only, the only reasons why we have these ups is because they're in relation to the downs. If we don't, if we didn't have the downs, it would just be this point in the middle of nowhere. It's these opposition that we're able to compare them. And once you've understand those dynamics and that flow of life and that connection to the world, then there's a certain piece that happened that happens. And I know that right now we're going through this tragic and tremendously difficult time because we're unable to connect with the people that we like physically. We're a social species. We need, you know, we need to connect with people, but we need to go back to this foundation to the basics of, of why we exist on this planet and that deeper connection. Thank you for just a most wonderful conversation. Where are you headed next? Um, you've been to so many places that the, the team at IMEX and anyone listening to this will, will know, if not through the show, but having physically visited Patagonia, Utah, Nevada, Mexico. What's in your sights and, and how can we help you? Well, there was a couple of places that I wanted to go and they were closed right now. You know, we live in a strange, bizarre world. I want to go, so British Columbia, I'm in British Columbia in Canada. We have such an amazing backyard. I wanted to go to, go to Haida Gwaii, which is this archipelago of islands on the north of Vancouver. It's a, apparently a really powerful area. It's been called the Galapagos of, of North America, but it's been closed, so I can't go over there. Can't go to the States. Can't go to Europe. Maybe I'll go to the Faroe Islands. I, I want to go to um, Norway, all different places, uh, Japan. The world is an oyster that can be explored right now. It's a little bit challenging. I haven't even been able to be on a kayak because I live in Vancouver and the border is right in my backyard. It's like 15 minutes away. And all my kayaks are at my cousin-in-law in Blaine, which is the city right across the border. And I used to go to the States at least once a week. And now I haven't been able to go there for since March. And in fact, I posted something. I think my passport has never been so lonely and it's, it's an entire life. It's been sitting in my drawer. And every time I open the drawer, I have this, his, his, is like sad face looking at me. It's like, please take me out, take me out. Let's go somewhere. So until the world is is uh, reopening, British Columbia is going to be the place where I go and and um, and explore. So I'm looking forward to visit, to, to travel the world and, and, and create those immersive experiences. The whole reason behind inviting you to speak at the show and for this conversation is we, we believe in the power of nature and we believe in how important nature is to humans, to our human nature, which is why it's our talking point this year and we've also extended it into 2021. So there's a long way to go with, with conversations like these. It's been a real pleasure. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, IMAX, for having me. This is going to be <laughs> Exciting. Kit Watts was chatting with Daniel Fox, author of Feel the Wild and founder of Feel the Wild VR. If you want to know more about IMAX and the work we do, you can find us online at imaxexhibitions.com or you can seek us out on the usual social media channels. We've put them in the notes below for you. Tune in next time.